Hello, welcome to another episode of Lie, Cheat, and Steal, the podcast about liars, frauds, thieves, and bullshitters. I'm your host, Pat Soroyes. With me, as always, my co-host, Kath Barbadoro. Kath, how you doing? I'm good, Pat. Um, I'm uh, very happy that we got to record today. We just finished our conclusion of our two-parter Billionaire Boys Club Patreon-only episode. So yeah. If anyone's interested in that story, it is a bananas one, and uh, you can hear it all at patreon.com slash lie, cheat, and steal, A-N-D. Yeah, yeah, look into it. Maybe you want to see, you know, uh, the, what happens with these young dudes with a ton of money and a proclivity for uh, bad things happen. I mean, it, it's no different than normally what happens, but it's pretty bizarre. Check it out. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, but yeah, that being said, I'm just... Uh, I'm having a good day. I just entered into a stretch of like like four days off. I'm I'm stoked. I have nothing to do except talk about scams with Kath right. today. So I'm into it. <laughs> yeah. Um. I I think I have one that's going to be up your alley today because I know you're a history buff. Yes. And uh, I know you watch a lot of weird history documentaries on YouTube. All I and... watch. And the, the requirement <laughs> is that the host has to be uncharismatic. If they have if they have, <laughs> if they have an ounce of charm or production value, uh, I'm not right interested. Out. Yeah, Get I it need, out of here. Yeah, I need a guy who's just talking about a part of history that we barely know what happened. And he has to sound like he has never kissed a woman. And he's like, <laughs> as the Etruscans made the way down the Italian peninsula. Like, it has to just yes. be that yeah that's what i want with like really shitty graphics so well like this one i see this whole story to me sounds like it was it sounds like it would be on the history channel at like three in the morning like it doesn't sound like a real thing but it is real like it really happened uh and unless multiple sources are gaslighting me this is a real thing (laughs) and uh I would love if the History Channel got together with like other parties to gaslight one person like that. Would be. <laughs> I mean, that's like they have ancient aliens and shit like that. Like this seems, th- this just seems right up their alley because it's about it's about World War Two like apocrypha, which I feel like is what the History Channel is all about. It's yeah, like yeah. the untold secret story of like, yeah, yeah. the Satanist cult of the Nazis yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like, and, and, and that, that, whatever. I haven't matured much in my life, but I am glad that like I used to like like I can't really even watch those like those History Channel ones anymore. Where it's like, was this structure used to house aliens? Like, you know, where everything's a question because the answer is no. And, like, right? I, yeah, whatever. you yeah no. I, I don't mean to say it's up your alley because you like actually listen to good stuff and learn about history in a way that yeah, is but no, there, meaningful. There's definitely, yeah, yeah, there's definitely very much a time period of my life where like that was still very intriguing television to me. Like, so yeah, not far off at all. Well, today we're going to be talking about something. I had never heard of this. I checked with you. You said you'd never heard of this. Um, it was a really big scandal at the time. Um, so I'm kind of surprised that this hasn't come up before. But today we are talking about uh, an affair known as the Hitler Diaries, which again sounds like a History Channel show to me. Yeah, the Hitler I, Diaries. Yeah, yeah. It just it all. Yeah, it also sounds. It sounds like a History Channel show. Also sounds like a Lifetime thing. And I'm just imagining yes. Hitler as like a 14 year old girl. And he's like, right. Oh, Joseph Goebbels is so mean. I hate him, and I hate I hate myself for hating him. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what was in these diaries. We're gonna, yeah. It's bananas. So <laughs> There was an old set of, uh, Weekend Update sketch where they talked about, like, like historians were speculating that Hitler might have been gay. And I forget <laughs> who the host was at the time, but they were like, yeah, this was all uh, uh, spurred on by the, re- uh, the discovery of his unreleased documentary, Mine Boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I want, like, 
the Wikipedia on this is really, really detailed because there was a book that came out about this in 1991 called um, Selling Hitler, I believe. Uh, It might be out of print. But anyway, the the Wikipedia page is really well sourced. I also read um, some articles, mostly from um, like... I I didn't find a ton of contemporaneous stuff. It was usually a few years later. Um, But I I did read a bunch of stuff about it. So... I, I want to start the way the Wikipedia page starts because I, I thought that was like a good opening, which is sort of like the basis for this idea. So okay. the the premise of this whole thing is that there is th- that there might be somewhere a cache of never before sort of analyzed or seen documents written by Hitler during the war. Okay. And the reason that they think that that might be true is because um, in April of 1945, Berlin is about to be taken by the the Soviets and and the Western allies and uh, Hitler's crew kind of knows they're in trouble. So there's an evacuation planned um, of this bunker in Berlin to get some of the key people out. It was called Operation Seraglio and they were going to fly to this like Southern German retreat of Hitler's and a bunch, there were like a, 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 you know, a, cadre of of planes like a bunch of planes were going to leave hitler was staying because you know he had to command but like a bunch of other people left and the last plane out had um a bunch of heavy chests on it like 10 heavy chests that were overseen by hitler's personal valet who was this guy named sergeant william arndt and question about the chests would they drop the chest did they go oof (laughs) (laughs) yes of course (laughs) oh that hurts did the chest say that when kick that's what i want to know okay (laughs) well no that's the thing is they don't actually know what was in them um so there were these 10 chests that were being brought to to out of Berlin. Um, but unfortunately, the plane that they were on crashed uh, near the Czechoslovak border. And um, when Hitler found out what happened, he expressed his grief at the loss of his valet, who he really liked. Um, but he also said, and this is like written down, he said, I entrusted him with extremely valuable documents, which would show posterity the truth of my actions. So he's basically saying like, you know, he had all of my writings and now they're lost. So people who uh, have a vested interest in trying to exonerate Hitler, which we'll get into in this yeah. story. I, I was going to say, I know this has to be like somebody, yeah, somebody out there is being like, well, actually, like, oh God. <laughs> yeah, no, everyone, read. T- top to bottom, yeah. everyone involved in this story is a fucking freak. Like, yeah, 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 <laughs> into it. We don't know what the six million did to him first, okay, before the camera started rolling. We got to hear both exactly. sides of the story. Like. Exactly. That's like kind of the vibe of people who, who really want to find this stuff. Oh, I mean, yeah. and there are also people who are just interested in this time period. Of, co- of but course, like, yeah. But among people who um, collect Nazi memorabilia and are interested in this stuff, this is sort of a long discussed kind of rumor that this stuff is out there and it was lost in a plane crash. So now we cut to um, like the fifties uh, and sixties post-war Germany. Uh, Germany is divided. You know, there's East and West yes. Germany at this point. And um, Germans don't really like to think about this time period. And, and people don't really sort of acknowledge the extent of Hitler worship that was going on in post-war Germany. Yeah. Um, but there really there was a flourishing back black market for Nazi memorabilia um, on both sides of the of the wall, and uh, there that is how one of the heroes or anti heroes of our story made his living. Um, 
So there are two kind of main guys in this saga. The first one is this guy, Conrad Kujau, which is an awesome name. Yeah, right? <laughs> He's innocent. Um, I, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Conrad Kujau was born in 1933 near Dresden in what later became East Germany. And uh, in his childhood, his parents had both been ardent Nazi supporters. Um, he grew up idolizing Hitler. And the end of the war didn't change that. Like, it didn't yeah. for, for many people. So... Um, he had like a series of menial jobs. He was kind of a petty, petty criminal in his youth. Um, and he got caught, uh, stealing in his hometown and fleed to Stuttgart, which is in Western Germany. Oh yeah. I've been to Stuttgart. Um, okay. So what's it like? Uh, I, I went to the American military base in Stuttgart and went to their PX, which had all the same stuff that our PX had. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I cannot tell you what the town was like. It was German. I'm sure I ate a brochen and a bratwurst somewhere. But I just remember <laughs> Stuttgart was like, it had something in there as far as American military bases went where like occasionally you had to go there to like get like records or paperwork or some shit. Mm. So took a few trips to Stuttgart. Well, he, so when he got there, he kind of, had one foot in legitimacy and one foot back in the sort of criminal world. He, uh, he meets a woman who later becomes his wife and together they, um, they run a bar for a few years that goes under, uh, they run a cleaning service for a few years that goes under and kind of in between all of this stuff, um, Kujau is engaging in petty crime and he realizes he has a talent for counterfeiting. Um, Hell yeah. he's a, he's a really good mimic of handwriting. So, he gets caught a few times and spends a little bit of time in jail, but he's kind of in and out. He's sort of a marginal figure. Yeah. It's like um, German jail. Is just, it's like just super chill. Like just, no, I'm sure, no, I don't. I don't know. I just like get the, whenever I hear someone being in and out of like European jail, I just always, I just always think <laughs> they just like, let him out at night. You yeah, know? <laughs> it's always like Nordic stuff. Like they're just like you know they're like playing Parcheesi and like just learning how to quilt and shit. Like which I'm, I'm sure in post-war Germany jails were, were a fun place to be. Yeah, I'm thinking it's more like he spent a year in jail and then got out and then got back sentenced to another year in jail, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Not yeah, like yeah. in and out. And but... Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I'll be back tomorrow. And just fucking sleep. <laughs> so um, in 1970, he went back to East Germany to visit his family and discovered that many of the locals there had Nazi memorabilia, um, which was against the law in communist East Germany at the time. Yeah. Um, but despite that, there was a ton of it around. And he saw an opportunity to buy it cheaply on the black market and then sell it in Western Germany where he could make a profit. So yeah. there were a lot capitalism, of like capitalism wormed its way into like this, like this whole thing, like East Germany versus West Germany, Nazi memorabilia. Also, oh, it's, just, it's just, it's funny to think that you're like going to like communist East Germany to buy to things a at a lower price and then sell yeah. them for a profit. And it's like, I'm sure that right. would really boil their blood. You know? <laughs> so, um, there's like a couple reasons why this wasn't allowed. First of all, of course, um, the, this stuff is outlawed uh, under the communist government of East Germany. You're not allowed to have this stuff. Um, but also there's sort of a catch-22 as well, where if you did have this stuff and you tried to export it, that was also banned because they were deemed items of cultural heritage. So it's like, you shouldn't have this and it's bad, but if you have it, you can't sell it to anyone else either. Like, yeah. you know, bury it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's like having blue bonnets in your yard. It's like, well, now you can't mow the grass. Like here in Texas, like you just like, can't. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So um, so he starts bringing Nazi stuff over from, from East Germany to sell in Stuttgart. And uh, a few years later, he, he rents a shop where he dis- he sells this Nazi memorabilia because at the time it was not illegal in Western Germany. Yeah. Um, so 
the this is a really funny uh, sentence that I'm just like, oh God. So apparently his store became a venue for late night drinking sessions with friends and fellow collectors. So it's like, that's a motley fucking crew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, um, yeah, Nazi memorabilia enthusiasts. Ugh, yeah. Just the grossest, biggest fucking yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, yeah. It's just all, like, it's a bunch of, like, I don't know, ex, like, the kind of people you imagine, like, ex-cops, like, over here and shit. Just kind of, yeah. like, yeah, surly types. Yeah, because this is, like, pretty recently, it's, the war is only 30 years past at this point. Yeah. So, like, there are a lot of people kicking around that, like, you know, yeah. did some really bad shit. I, <laughs> so. I'm, listening, I'm listening right now to some stuff about, um, like, the far-right movement in Germany. Mm-hmm. Like, the current far-right far movement. And they, they, they had a couple episodes, like, detailing, like, its history. And they talked about um, how, commun- yeah, the communist part of Germany was oddly a breeding ground for, like, uh, Nazi mm-hmm. sympathizing because it was just so ethnically homogenous. You know, and it was like, and it was, you know, they said it was just the, the perfect ripe ground. Like, it was like, you know, the West was way more culturally integrated. Interesting, yeah, And yeah, yeah. Said, like, East German was just like, it was just, you know, just, we were far more likely to meet people who agreed with you, you know, for what that's worth. Right, well, like, people weren't immigrating to East Germany like yeah, they were to exactly. West Germany. So it becomes a, yeah, homogenous society. That's really interesting. Um, but yeah, so he, Kujau realizes, like, he can sell this stuff for more in the West, but he can sell it for even more if he puts his counterfeiting skills to good use and indicates, you know, forges some stuff that makes it seem like this memorabilia was owned by someone important. So he Uh, would do that a lot. So he would like, he would produce documents that were supposedly handwritten by Nazi party leaders to indicate ownership of things like, you know, uh, there was like a, a first world war helmet that, you know, would have been, pretty much worthless but he forged some stuff that um indicated hitler had worn it so oh uh, you know, yeah would it be like, like an inventory number or whatever like a sign to like young pfc adolf hitler and shit yeah i don't know yeah. maybe it's like full metal jacket style like he just writes stuff on the helmet i really uh, don't know yeah, how it yeah, works yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like born to kill and shit on there. right <laughs> um but a- apparently he was good enough that uh at the handwriting that he he could do a pretty good job imitating handwriting, but the rest of his sort of forgery work was not very good. So yeah. like, he he used modern stationery. Um, <laughs> it's like this is from a Holiday Inn, sir. I don't know what to put you. <laughs> yeah, he like he would he would he wasn't good at like artificially aging the paper. He would yeah. make mistakes in spelling and grammar. Like he just wasn't. He was only good at copying the handwriting, pretty much. Yeah, um, I gotta get another case. Stay in your lane, man. Like, stay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, but he didn't. He probably should have teamed up with somebody who knew better to like help him. You know. Yeah. But he just did the physical stuff, but he didn't. Um, but the other thing he was good at, he he clearly just had sort of like a, a craftsman's eye because he was also a pretty good painter, and. Another thing he started doing is was uh, forging paintings that he claimed were by Hitler. Um, oh wow! I can only, I can only imagine the the like the collector's value of like Hitler's art. That's got that's got to be a, a huge uh, dollar tag on that. Yeah, it's just so weird thinking about this because like all of this stuff, I can see why it's valuable, but also the people who make it valuable like should be in jail. <laughs> like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's like only the worst people on Earth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. What Kujau did that I think is really interesting is he realized that, like, there was a market for Hitler's paintings, but that there were certain subjects that, um, like, sold way better. And they were subjects that Hitler didn't paint a lot. Because Hitler was basically, like, a landscape artist. But yeah. uh, these people wanted, I, I, like, 
they wanted I don't think like any struggle with a human form is like what people always say. I know that's like, like an apocryphal thing about. I'm sure he struggled with it, but I've heard like people saying that that alluded to like his uh, you know, his trouble relating to humans. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess I don't, I'm not sure. He couldn't. That is. He couldn't draw hands just like the rest of us. That was his. Big oh yeah, 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 yeah. Among us, I mean, shit. <laughs> Maybe he's not that bad a guy. You know. <laughs> But no, like, so, uh, yeah, but that, those were the things that were valuable were, like, you know, pictures of, like, big, strong Aryan men. <laughs> like, that's what people wanted if they wanted Hitler art. Oh, uh, okay. And so Kuja would, would paint stuff like that and sell it because, like, even I've though, already been painting big, strong Aryan men in my free <laughs> time, so, yeah, that's cool. Right. So, and, like, historians all agree that Hitler never painted this stuff, um, but uh, it, it still sold among among collectors. So... Um, these paintings were often accompanied by small notes purportedly from Hitler. Um, you know, this guy has all of this Nazi memorabilia. So in order to explain this, he invents several sources in East Germany. Uh, you know, he says, he says he knows like a former Nazi general there. Uh, he said his brother was a general in the East German army, like all this, all this stuff that's like totally fabricated. And, uh, you know, he's, he's just forging all this stuff. Um, this is going great. He's making a lot of money. He's making friends in this world among other like ardent uh, Hitler worshippers in the 70s. And, uh, you know, things are going good. So I think this is when he gets a little bit cocky. Um, because as we said, his real skill is just in handwriting. It's not really in anything else. Yeah. And uh, he starts trying to compose longer works by Hitler. Um because people uh, are, yeah, you, are so into these notes and stuff like that. Yeah, you're in too deep, man. Don't. <laughs> he, so the first thing he does is he, uh, he starts writing poetry. And, uh, you know, he can do it. He, he, he can mimic Hitler's handwriting fairly well. Um, but his poetry is fucking terrible. <laughs> it's yeah, not good. Like, yeah, you can mimic Hitler's handwriting, but you cannot mimic his prose. It is just <laughs> you know, like, artful. I, I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so he he starts composing all of this garbage poetry. But yeah. you know, people who like Hitler, they don't have great taste. So would Hitler's like, poetry read anything like his speak his speech style? Like roses are red, violets <laughs> they are blue. Like it's just I don't know if that's I just imagine that's what his poetry would sound like. I mean, apparently he hand wrote in Gothic script. So like I do feel like that is the handwriting version of yelling. So oh yeah 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 it's like <laughs> when, like in, like when Thor talks in the comics and it's like written in that like runic script. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So um, he starts, but he starts selling these poetry manuscripts uh, to one of his regular customers, who is this guy named Fritz Stifel, who will come up a little bit as kind of a middleman throughout this story. Okay. Um, But yeah, so he starts writing these longer things, and then he gets the idea to write a diary, and that's kind of where all of this stuff kicks off, Um, because he knew the story about the, the plane crash, and he knew that there was like, you know, this this belief that this stuff was out here. So he writes a Hitler diary and he shows it to this guy, Fritz Stiefel, who is amazed by it. You know, he's like, this is incredible. I want to buy it. Uh, How much? And Kuja says, you can't buy it, but you can borrow it. And so Stiefel brings it to a bunch of experts and academics who said, this is real. We think this is real. And, I th- the confidence Kujan must have had to let this guy borrow it is crazy because like he must have known he was going to bring it to people. Yeah, and, of course. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess he just brought it to people who really wanted this thing to be real. So, 
yeah. you know, I don't think they did any real formal authentication, but they did. But they did say, I think this is real. And word started to spread among memorabilia collectors. I bet. And one of the guys to hear about this uh, is the other main figure in our story, who is this guy, Gerd Heidemann, which is an incredibly German name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Gerd Heidemann. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so Gerd is a piece of work. He is, a, his story is fucking wild. I feel like you could do a whole movie just about his life because, yeah. so Gerd was a Hitler youth member during the war. And later he became a well-regarded journalist uh, for this newspaper uh, Stern, which means star in German. Uh, it's sort of like Germany's version of Life magazine. Um, it, it's, it's pretty well-respected, and they would do kind of human interest stuff as well as investigative journalism. Um, yeah. And he was known as being like a very good and thorough researcher. However, he was just brought down by the fact that he loved Nazi shit too much. <laughs> that was yeah, yeah. <laughs> just it seems like the downfall of a lot of post-war German men, you know? <laughs> yeah. So he becomes obsessed with uh, Goering. He's like obsessed with Goering. Yeah. And he uh, the Stern gives him this assignment to go photo to go photograph a yacht that had once belonged to Goering. And uh, when he photographs this yacht, he's like, I'm obsessed with this yacht. I want to buy it. So yeah. he buys this yacht. And in the process of buying this yacht, he meets Goering's daughter, who he ends up having an affair with. So he's just like obsessed with this guy. He's like, yeah, I need your was... boat. I need to have sex with your daughter. Like, yeah. he, he did, held... like, oh, go ahead. Did Nicolas Cage do that with Elvis's daughter? Like, I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, or with Nicholas or, or Michael Jackson, obviously with Elvis's daughter as well. Yeah, but mm -hmm. they, they, I've watched things. They're like, it's like their fondness uh, and admiration of Elvis like can't be discounted when, when they're discussing why they may have pursued his daughter. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's this like weird need to like possess some part yeah. of them. I think. Um, but yeah, so this guy like he held parties on this yacht with other like documented SS people. And uh, he went to South America and was, like, photographed hanging out with some guys down there who were, like, wanted at The Hague for war crimes. Yeah. Um, so he's, like, definitely not opposed to Nazi stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, and, and the, the reason I say he just loved Nazi shit too much is because the purchase of this yacht put him in major debt. Uh, I was going to say, so yeah, I was like, Gerd got it like that? Okay. Yeah, this journalist cannot afford a yacht. So yeah. he... He realizes he needs to sell it, and that's how he gets connected to all these memorabilia people. He meets that guy Fritz Stifel, who okay. sort of introduces him around because he's he's looking for another collector to buy Gehring's yacht. So um, uh, through Stifel, Gerd Heidemann finds out about this Hitler diary, you know, because Stifel's like so jazzed about it. Yeah. And uh, this is in like ni around 1980. Um, and, and, you know, Stifel tells him about the plane crash in East, East Germany. Um, Stifel won't tell him where he got it, but he says, like, it's out there. I've seen it. Yeah. It's real. Um, and so Heidemann becomes, like, obsessed with this. He's like, I need to, I need to see this. I need to, to investigate this. And so he pitches it to the Stern, um, you know, as, as a journalistic assignment to go find this yeah. thing. And... People at Stern were not super interested. Um, they were telling him to work on other features. Um, I don't know how much ideology played into that, but I do know that Stern apparently had a reputation as being like a, a more left of center 
um, publication. So yeah. they might have just not wanted to touch it. But um, yeah, it's 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 unclear. Um, but there was one person who wanted to work with him on it there, who's this guy Thomas Valdi, who will also come up a few times. But the main people to know here are Gerd Heidemann and uh, Conrad Kujau. Those are our main guys. That's what's so, okay, it's just the, the cool name crew, crew. okay. Exactly. <laughs> so um, Heidemann and, and Valdi, this other guy, go on this like quest to track this thing down. They go visit the site of the plane crash. They, um, you know, they're like calling all these people trying to track down Kujau, but he won't talk to them. He's like very elusive. Um, a year after a year of kind of investigating this, Kujau finally sits down to talk to them. And he tells Heidemann, there are 27 volumes of Hitler's diaries. There's also the original manuscript of the unpublished third volume of Mein Kampf, which I don't know if there is a third volume of Mein Kampf. I feel wow. like it's just like that. He's where he says aliens did it or something. I don't know like, <laughs> yeah. what happens in that one. Um, it's like it just follows like the horror movie franchise thing. It's like in the third one, he's in space. So it's like. Well, like, we'll, we'll meet a few other people who are into this shit, and I feel like what they're looking for in all of this is some evidence that Hitler didn't know about the Holocaust. Like, that's what they want to find in this, is, like, okay. some, some evidence that it either was done without his knowledge or that he tried to stop it or, you know, that he's actually not that bad. Like, that's... Yeah, oh, it's, it, yeah, it's like, a, like a World War II QAnon where it's like, no, he yes. actually... Yeah, yeah, he died and went undercover and came back. That's, that's so weird. Yeah, it's like exactly like that, in my opinion. That's like the yeah. the sort of thing they're all kind of hanging on to. And um, yeah, so he says it has all this other stuff. There's an opera. There's like uh, all these unpublished papers. And uh, Kujau says, look, they're all back in East Germany. I like I'm smuggling them out sort of piece by piece. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I don't have them all with me, but I know they're all around and they're real and I can get them. So Heidemann uh, offers him uh, two million marks for the entire collection and guaranteed secrecy until everything had been brought over the border. Uh, the pair did not agree to a deal, but they sort of opened the conversation. And that is going to be something that is going to come up a lot, is that throughout this entire process, these guys are constantly wheeling and dealing each other and like going back on <laughs> agreements yeah. and like ripping <laughs> each other off. And yeah, so... Uh, basically yeah they, they make this deal there's a lot of haggling um but there's one detail that i think is so funny about their sort of haggling so as sort of like a collateral for the deal heidemann's like okay i trust you i'm going to lend you this uniform that had once belonged to Gehring, so that you can make a showcase of it along with these other uniforms and kuja was like okay we'll trade to sort of seal this deal i will give you a painting by hitler uh, it turns oh. out both of those things were fake. So <laughs> the uniform was fake. The painting was fake. Uh, yeah. Really emblematic of the kind of deal that they. Yeah. That they two had. men absolutely made for each other. Yeah. So they make this deal. And, and um, while this is all happening, a bunch of other stuff that Kujau has sold is coming under suspicion. Um, and Kujau really plays sort of both sides on this, which I think is very crafty. Because, like, remember that guy Fritz Stifel I was talking about? Yes. So Fritz Stifel has all those bad poems that Kujau wrote. And he realizes that they are probably not real. And so he confronts Kujau about it. And Kujau's like, I'm only the middleman. I, like, you yeah. know, I brought these from somebody. I didn't know they were fake. Um, and it, in order to sort of solidify his 
status as a collector, he tells Stifle, well, I'm working with this celebrated journalist, Gerd Heidemann. So like, you know, I'm legit, right? Like Heidemann has seen the plane crash site. He knows where the documents I'm getting now are from. So he uses Heidemann to convince Stifle. And then he tells Heidemann, don't worry, these poems are from a different source. They're not from the the same sources where I'm getting the Hitler diaries. Both of those are wrong. Like Heidemann has yeah. not seen anything and you know, the source is just fucking him writing them. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just think that's very crafty. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, so Cujo has now sold this stuff, but he has not yet written this stuff. He wrote one. So Ooh. he really like bit off a lot to be like, yeah. there are 27 of them. <laughs> Oh, oh man, it, it, that's just gotta be a like I I know what I know exactly what it's like to like I'm supposed to have something written and it's not written yet like I know that how that feels oh, that's yeah. stressful B it's, it has to be a lie and also if you're writing like a historical figure's daily diaries like there's so much other stuff that accounts for that person's whereabouts on a certain day right. or what they did it's just that just seems like it the. Uh, propensity for making mistakes seems so large it would stop me from even trying to do it. that's that's like I, I i'm just again i'm getting that's the henry hill moment right there it's like i gotta yes. write yeah what hitler's day-to-day thoughts were and it has to correspond with very easily a verifiable uh you know historical points of where he was at what he said and what he was doing well, that that idea actually becomes an argument that some people make that this must be real because it's like why would someone forge this much? Like, why wouldn't they just forge one? Like, yeah. this is crazy. It's hundreds of thousands of words. Like, why would well, he do this? Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine, like, uh, you know, he liked the guy, you know? Like, he was a, yeah, a fan he, of Hitler. He's writing Hitler fanfic, basically, is what yeah, this yeah. ends up being. So <laughs> he just, does... Just turns into, like, erotic fanfic. <laughs> he does, like, um, consult with, like, other, you know, books about... Hitler like he copies a lot of it from newspapers and magazines there's this historian Max Damaris who he like basically just rips off uh, a bunch of his work Um, the so like he he basically just starts writing them and then as he writes them he gives them to Heidemann which is I don't know if this is true but I imagine he's giving them to them giving him to Heidemann in like chronological order which is very funny to me because like (laughs) there'd be no reason for someone to do that unless they were just writing them as they were going along just so happens to be the yeah the guys giving me in there the chronological that is that's yeah that's very true (laughs) so um so at this point like now that he has it, by 1981, Kujaho's given some of these to Heidemann, and Heidemann has used this to sort of secure a deal with the, with Stern um, to pursue this as a journalistic project. But because of the sensitivity of the project, he is not talking to any of the editors. He has made this deal with the owners of Stern, not with the not with his journalistic bosses. So like yeah. none of the editors know what's going on. None of the people who would fact check him or anything. It's the people who want to make money. It's the CEO, you know? Yeah. So um yeah, basically he just bypasses everyone with integrity and goes to the people <laughs> with dollar signs and he negotiates this like really good deal with them to not only have the diaries paid for, but also to secure himself a bonus and publishing rights and all this other stuff. Um, So another funny thing about that is because he had secured this like really good deal to get these books, he keeps telling the, the CEOs of Stern's parent company, 
oh, the price of the books keeps going up. Like, it's, uh, there are more people we need to bribe. There's yeah, like, hey, I, need, you know, I need some walking around money, guys, right? Exactly. And he says that these demands are coming from Kujau, but really, he's just pocketing all the extra money. So Hell he's yeah. just, Heidemann is just living large on, uh, yeah. on this project. <laughs> I, yeah. And I, I feel like at this point, it's like, at, at some point, I think Heidemann realizes that these are not genuine, but he's lucked into this sick deal, and he just yeah. is going along with it. I, I think that's what's happening. So yeah, yeah, because I mean, if, yeah, if you're getting paid, I mean, at that point, yeah, wait, look, that can stop him from coming, you know? Yeah, because like he, like here's an example. Like after twelve diaries had been delivered, Heidemann informed his employers that the price had risen from eighty-five thousand marks to a hundred thousand marks per diary. The reason given by Heidemann was that the East German general smuggling the diaries was now having to bribe more people. Heidemann kept the money and just spent all of it on Nazi pro- Nazi memorabilia. <laughs> like that's he he wasn't giving any of the extra to Kujau, but he was buying a lot of it from Kujau. So, which was all obviously fake. So, yeah. you know, he got a little bit of his in the end, but yeah, yeah, that was that was him bawling out. Was like, oh, all this extra money, more Nazi shit. Here we more go. More Nazi, more nerd ass sword shit. That's <laughs> like, uh, my boy Josh Dobb, when he had a, he was working for a furniture mover for a while, and like people who can pay to have furniture movers, movers are generally, you know, they got money, mm-hmm. and uh, he would move all these places like these tech guys out in West Austin, and he was like, dude, he's like, it's so funny. The first purchase all of these dudes make when they get rich is a bunch of stupid fucking swords. <laughs> and so he's like, he's <laughs> nice. Like so much of, of every move was just swords. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's basically what this guy is doing. And yeah. uh, he keeps raising the price, raising the price, raising the price. And then he also tells them, oh, there's actually more than 27 of them. So, like, he's just he's just defrauding the newspaper at this point. Like yeah. He's probably having fun writing them at this point, too. You know? like, well, no, this isn't even the oh, guy yeah, writing so, them. Yeah, this is yeah. the middleman. So, like, everybody's yeah. getting a piece of this. Like, yeah, yeah so... Um, so, so like he's still paying Kujau and Kujau's making a good money too, but this guy is, this guy is balling out of control. Um, so they, when they get like, I, I don't know how many have actually been delivered to Heidemann at this point, but I, one of the parts of their deal was that they weren't going to analyze any of them or authenticate them until they had the complete set, which is like. Con shit 101, you don't do that. Yeah, that's a little... Yeah, you, you you can't count it until I'm in the car, okay? Like that's right. Weird. That, yeah, that's, that's, that's weird. I wonder if there's like a, a precedent for that or like a reason why that would make any sense at all. Yeah, I, I really don't know. Um, yeah. But, but it, by 1982, by the spring of 1982, they finally contact uh, the German Federal Archives... Um, I, presumably that's like the German kind of like Library of Congress type deal. Yeah, I could possibly see that. You said that it could be like the authentication process for this. You have to go outside of our little circle of trust. Yes. So the minute you authenticate one, they're yeah. going to start asking about the others, and that's going to make it harder for me to get the rest out of East Germany. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, can, yeah. that's probably the argument they used. Um, but yeah, so they finally they finally tell the the German authorities that, that they have this material and they want them to authenticate it. But in order to authenticate it, they just send them one page, which is very funny to me, of like these <laughs> hundreds and hundreds of pages. Um, and for comparison purposes, they sent along a bunch of other samples of Hitler's writing, but all of those samples of Hitler's writing were forged by Kujau as well. So oh, yes, yeah, so you'll notice it looks exactly like this. Right. So the the authenticators were like yes there is no question these documents were written by the same person 
And, you know, they just assumed that yeah. that person was Hitler. So. <laughs> um, and so I, I guess we'll get to that. I'm very excited to see if, like, the, the, the content of these diaries ever, like, kind of broke to the public or. or... Yeah, well, it, it did. And that's the next part we're going to get into here involves Yay. involves uh, Rupert Murdoch. And this story, I feel like there are a lot of villains in the story. He is the biggest one to me. So we yeah, will... Yeah, it, it, any, any story you drop him in, he becomes, like, the biggest villain. Like... Right. The, just the m- m- biggest asshole, the whale yeah. of all the assholes. So, um, yeah, so they get, like, you know, uh, some data from the German Federal Archives that's like, this is real. So they, by by June 1982, they had 35 diaries. Oh. And uh, by the next year, they had put together a prospectus to sort of give to potentially interested parties um, a lot of, like, major newspapers and stuff. They were trying to sell this around to who was going to get the publishing rights. Um, So they brought in a bunch of respected historians, uh, including this one who will come into play later, whose name is Hugh Trevor Roper. Um, They, the historians authenticate the diaries as part of this sort of prospectus for... um, people who own newspapers and uh he is falsely told that the paper had been chemically tested and was shown to be pre-war um he was falsely told that stern the newspaper knew the officer who had rescued the documents and uh you know just a, a, a bunch of stuff like that that like wasn't true at all so with this information hugh trevor roper said yeah these are probably real i think these are real um and that set off this big bidding war between all of these major newspapers. I mean, you had um, Newsweek, you had Time, you had a bunch of uh, papers owned by Rupert Murdoch in multiple countries. You had, um, you know, papers in Paris, like all over yeah. the place. Um, ultimately, Rupert Murdoch won the bidding war and he paid uh, just under a million dollars for the publishing rights in the U.S. and another $400,000 to publish in Britain and Australia. Uh, instead of rubbing his, oh yeah, yeah, give me the give me the Hitler papers. Come on, give me like, just, yeah. Just, <laughs> he's he's pumped. And, yeah, ooh, uh, I want to touch what he touched. <laughs> so now that um, these deals are in place, Stern is ready to have their press conference and to tell the major, uh, you know, the the wider world about yeah. the existence of these documents. As soon as they do that historians start raising their eyebrows. Like, everybody's like, yeah. this does not sound right. Make any fucking sense. <laughs> so, I, I just look like we, we found Hitler's diary and it took us 30 years because he actually had one of those ones that locks and we yeah. had to find the key and we were looking <laughs> fucking everywhere for this thing, right? We checked it. We checked Hitler's coffee table. It wasn't there. <laughs> like, just, yeah, man. We were stuck. Yeah, for, yeah. There's no way we'd get in there. It would damage the lock, you know? <laughs> Then he would know we were. Then he didn't know we read it. You know? Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. So, like, right when they have this press conference, everybody's like, eh, "This sounds fishy." Um, yeah. So th- there was some controversy um, in in sort of the newspapers about this, but because so like the Times in London is a Rupert Murdoch owned paper, and they had the publishing rights, and so it's in their vested interest to quell any kind of criticism. You know, yeah. like they're the ones who are going to publish it. So they call that guy, Hugh Trevor Roper, and say, will you write a piece uh, rebutting the criticism of the diaries? And Hugh Trevor Roper says, you know what? Now that I know more about these, I don't think they're authentic and I'm not going to write this piece. And yeah. yeah. And Hugh was just like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and 
the editor of the Times uh, called Rupert Murdoch and was like, hey, should we stop the print run about these about these diaries now that our historian has retracted what he said and Murdoch said fuck him publish so <coughs> like Murdoch knew that there was suspicion about this but he's a craven asshole and yeah. uh, wanted to sell papers and because the Times had a vested interest in not questioning the story they went ahead with it wow so yeah these this came out in major newspapers that these diaries had been uncovered and that they were going to be published Damn. Um Despite I, I wonder if some author out there was just like <laughs> some self like self important writer was just like you know what I often wonder if Anne Frank and Hitler while both writing in their diaries ever looked up at the same moon. <laughs> <laughs> We're all just people, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still believe people are basically good. <laughs> it's just like Hitler <laughs> writing his shit. So. uh that they like they're they have these series of press conferences like for the historians to come ask them questions. Trevor Roper shows up and he is very skeptical and starts like grilling Heidemann on the name of his source. Uh, Heidemann won't tell him. He's very cagey. Oh, his little sweaty, little pudgy German kid, just like, I, I, I don't know. He's just all flustered behind the mic, I imagine. I don't know. <laughs> So um, Trevor Roper ends up giving his own press conference, and he he really sums this up perfectly. Um, He says, quote, I regret that the normal method of historical verification has been sacrificed to the perhaps necessary requirements of a journalistic scoop, which is pretty clearly what happened, plus like a large dose of Nazi adoration in there, too. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there there are a bunch of questions that that people ask, um, you know, there, there was a bu- there were a bunch of diary entries that were written at a time where Hitler was documented to have had a, an injury to his arm, so he wouldn't have been able to write. Uh, <laughs> it's like nowhere in there was like, oof, this hurts. Yeah, anyway, like... <laughs> exactly. You got to put that in. You got to you got to write yourself out of that problem. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there were a few there were a few people who were, um, you know, on the side of these being real. But most of them seem to have ideological reasons for promoting yeah. them. Um, like a notable example is this guy, David Irving, who's like a pretty prominent um, Holocaust denier. And uh, he, he had at first expressed doubts. And he was at a, a press conference where he, where he called some things into question. But then he, he did a total 180 and he was like, no, I think they're real. And the reason that people think that he made that 180 is because the content of the diaries did not reference the Holocaust at all. And Irving had written a book where the thesis was that the Holocaust had taken place without Hitler knowing about it. So he was like, this backs up my book, therefore I think it's real, you know? Oh, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the most important part of the scientific method, does it match your current findings? <laughs> exactly, and I feel like that's like kind of the running theme of this whole story is like, these were not good forgeries, but everybody wanted it to be real for their own purposes. Like... Kujan yeah, wanted that, money. Heidemann wanted money and fame. Uh, David Irving wanted his book to be right. Rupert R- Murdoch wanted to sell books. Like, they all yeah. have these reasons to not look into this, you know? Yeah, that's the crazy thing in a lot of stories that we've looked at is that, like, sometimes there will be just, like, these, like, brazenly false things that everybody in the aisle, on either side of the aisle, needs it to be true, and it just remains true, and it just perpetuates the, the scam yeah. for that much longer because you know it, it just it just serves everybody that that this thing is right it's sort of like that adage about like con men where it's like 
you know, an, an okay con man will like get somebody to give them their wallet, but a great con man will have the person thanking them for taking it, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's if you come up with a scam that fills a void that people want, like you, yeah. you are unstoppable until you get to, you know, this part of the story, which is they finally forensically test these things and it's very clear they are fake. They finally compare them to like actual handwriting of Hitler's. It's yeah. obvious they're not the same. Um, <laughs> Hitler clearly dotted his eyes with a heart. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere to be found in that. <laughs> um, yeah. So there was things like there was polyester in one of the bindings that like wasn't, you know, of the time. Like there's all of this stuff like that. So, Whoops. <laughs> what a fucking dummy. <laughs> So the managers at Stern try to release the first press statement uh, about this not being real, um, but the German government beat them by five minutes, which I think is very funny. Oh, like, yeah, Scooped, yeah. bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. That's, that's so wild. Also, because, like, it is interesting that the selling point of, the, of these things was not what it said, but what it didn't say. Was that yeah. it didn't reference the Holocaust? Mm-hmm. And it just, it leads you to believe that it was, like, so was it just full of, like, minutia and bullshit, like, from, like, Hitler's daily life or, or, or just whatever, like, homeboy could pull out of his ass at, at the time. That's just, uh, yeah, it's just funny that it wasn't necessarily the contents. It was, like, the, the lack of content or what right. wasn't in there. Yeah, I, th- I think it was a mix of, like, accounts that could be backed up by like speeches and um you know historical events that he was documented at and then just sort of various trivial things about his life um but yeah so this is a really funny detail to me so after the government announced this um kujau immediately tried to flee to austria with his wife and his mistress together (laughs) Um, last minute introduction he was like uta betty betty uta we gotta go yeah (laughs) He told he told his wife that the mistress was his uh, cleaner, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> what do you want me? Do you want me to be dirty in Austria? Come on, like we gotta, <laughs> She has to come with us. <laughs> um. So he after he saw like the news a few days later, um, where he, the news broke that Stern had paid uh, Heidemann over nine million marks. Kujau was like, fuck this. I'm turning myself in because that guy cheated me. <laughs> like he, he turned himself in because he was like, nine million? What the fuck? I didn't get that much. So yeah, yeah. He, he finds out that he has been bullshitted by the guy he's bullshitting. And he's like, yeah. I need to talk to somebody about this. <laughs> this guy got nine million. I got nine million. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Bars. Hey, hey, sorry. <laughs> exactly. So he was really, he was really bitter about it because he was like, Heidemann's playing dumb. I'm, you know, I'm the wanted fugitive here. This yeah. is shitty. I need to tell them that, you know, he was more in on it than they than they think. Yeah. Um, so he he does, he turns himself in, he writes a confession, and he says that Heidemann knew all along that they were fake. So it's unclear whether that's actually the case, but it does seem like he at least figured it out at some point. Yeah. Yeah, so they have this trial, and it's just an absolute media circus. It's ridiculous. Um, both men are just trying to throw each other under the bus. Uh, they're they're both charged with defrauding the newspaper. In 1985, uh, they both get sent to prison. Heidemann gets four years and eight months, and Kujau gets four years and six months. So I guess they do find <laughs> Heidemann slightly more guilty, but like yeah, both of them are a, guilty. Yeah, that's a, yeah, and what a way to express that like modicum of increased guilt. Like, 
Yeah. I so, wonder if it was like it was like the, by giving the other guy two extra months, he had to miss one more Oktoberfest, and that was like right. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, you you can get out in August. We're keeping you till November, buddy. He's like, oh, but I love Oktoberfest. So the interesting thing about this too is kind of what happens to them afterward, because I feel like there are two very different outcomes here. Um, so Kujau gets released in 1987. Um, and unfortunately, he he has throat cancer at the time, but he opens a gallery um, because I said he was like a pretty accomplished amateur painter and he would forge yeah. these Hitler uh, Hitler paintings. So he opens this gallery in Stuttgart where he sells, quote, honest forgeries where they're signed with his name. They're not pretending to be by anyone else, but they're like copies of salvador dali paintings or like yeah. in the style of uh Joan miro or like things like that so yeah and he does really well and uh he becomes kind of a minor celebrity because of his involvement with the hitler diaries stuff and um he eventually does get in trouble with the law again uh he was arrested for forging driver's licenses so. <laughs> you can't leave the game alone it needs him man yeah once a criminal always a criminal but yeah he was sort of like just a, an oddity um after yeah. he was released from prison heidemann did not fare so well unfortunately um he was also released in 87 presumably two months later <laughs> than, than <laughs> yeah. um he a few years later it was reported that he had actually been um an east german spy like the whole time like apparently the hitler diaries thing was his own shit but like he was also working with the stasi the east german secret police yeah. in in the 50s so he has that on his record so he's like sort of disgraced and then um he also was in like a lot of debt and living on social security the last time anyone checked up on him, which was like 10 years ago. So. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. But this, this, I bet he's just, just in his head, just thinking about that yacht. man. Just like... <laughs> yeah, man. Those good times on that yacht. Banging yeah. Gehring's daughter. Just. <laughs> so here's uh, so, the. So... Oh, go ahead. Honestly, when I yeah, when I picture Gerd, I just picture like like uh, Uder from The Simpsons. That's like that's <laughs> that's, who, that's who's been Gerd in my head the whole time. <laughs> so here's a very infuriating little piece of of trivia for the for the very end of this. Uh, so, in the wake of this scandal, two of Stern's editors lost their jobs uh, because of it, and they both really. Uh, uh, protested this because they were like, we wanted to fire Heidemann before this even happened. We didn't like yeah, him. Yeah, he, he bypassed us and went to our bosses. Exactly, yeah. So he was like, they, they were pissed. Um, so they got they were really the only people who were held accountable um, because Rupert Murdoch later said that uh, in the wake of this scandal, circulation went up and stayed up. We didn't lose uh. money. We got 20,000 new readers and uh, the Stern returned all of the money they paid uh, to them to get the publishing rights. So uh, Rupert Murdoch's still a billionaire, you know? Oh, uh, Rupert! Just that, that fucking asshole. So yeah, Rupert Murdoch was not hurt by this at all, and uh, he now has a net worth of over $22 billion. So that's wow. <laughs> that's the end of that story. No, 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 Rupert Murdoch is not dead. Yeah, he's... Uh, somebody else died recently. It wasn't him, but... Uh, Adelson, maybe? Sheldon Adelson? That might be who you're thinking yeah, of. Yeah, I think of... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rupert Murdoch's still alive. Sold $22 billion. That's good. Well, I'm glad he came out of this unscathed. Yeah, exactly. Thank goodness. Um, yeah. But, yeah, and then, like, the the other guy, the uh, Trevor Roper, the um, historian, his reputation was kind of 
never the same after this. Like a lot of other people did not come out of this unscathed, but uh, the people who put down the money for this thing that they were kind of had inklings wasn't real in their haste to sell papers. They're all doing fine. So okay, yes. Well, geez, I well, I'm glad I'm glad they're okay. That's uh, that's good. You know, like like that's that's we said the last time anyone checked on Gerd. He was just I just like no one's checked on Gerd in ten years. Like, yeah, who knows? Apparently, he's still very bitter. The last time they talked to him, which uh, checks I, out. Yeah, I mean, he does not seem like a good person. So it makes sense that he's holding on to this yeah, shit not, and has not, not learned not any about. lessons. Damn. Yeah. Well, that's that's that is a wild story. You were right. Uh, <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> That's interesting. I man, I would love. It was like at first I was really interesting. I thought this was going to be about the contents of the diary, and as we said, it's not really about the contents, but what's not in there. Mm. Uh, still curious to see what this dude decided to to fill Hitler's daily life with. Uh, <laughs> my, are, are, is there like transcripts of these available anywhere? I don't know. I I think so because there. I found some articles about how like ironically they are being. They are now being preserved by that like German federal archive because they're like historically important as a yeah. chapter in German popular culture. So like you probably yeah. can read them somewhere. It seemed to me from what I read that it was mostly pretty boring stuff. It was just like uh, it's pretty dry accounts of events like, you know, went and did this today. Like it wasn't a it, it wasn't a ton of uh, yeah. interesting minutia. Um Except that they, they tried to make him seem sensitive and compassionate. Like, that was kind of the theme. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because they liked Hitler. The people who did this liked Hitler, so. Yeah, yeah they were fans. Uh, well, you know, now they can throw out all those papers and they can just have a thumb drive that has our episode on it. So. <laughs> exactly. Put that in yeah, the yeah, German yeah. Federal Archive, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the light sheet seal photo, you know, as preserved in the German, <laughs> the German Federal <laughs> Archive. That's great. Okay, well, that was interesting, Capital. Thank you for, for sharing that with us today. That was a very a very interesting tale. Guys, if you guys are listening out there, we uh, we do you know uh, two of these episodes a month here for free on our feed. We also do have a Patreon for two more episodes a month and access to a pretty sizable back catalog. We just got done doing a two-parter about the Billionaire Boys Club, uh, the, uh, the tale of... Um, you know, Hill, Beverly Hills uh, billionaires' children's uh, out there uh, in the 1980s LA uh, doing like, getting up with all sorts of weird deeds. And we, yeah, that was a two part episode. We just recorded the second one today. So that's going to be out if you want to hear that. You can find that on there. Uh, that being said, you know, just really, you can find us out there on the internet. My name is uh, Pat Royce. I'm on Twitter as at PZTX. And the podcast itself is at LCS Podcast. And uh, Kat, I think you want to let us know about? Um, I'm not sure. I think I have some stuff coming out. This is coming out July 24th. Um, I have another podcast called What a Time to Be Alive, which is a weekly podcast uh, about dumb news stories. If you're in the New York area, we have a live show at Caveat on the Lower East Side, uh, August 5th, uh, which is a Thursday at 7 p.m. Um, if you go to uh, uh, What a Time Pod on Twitter, there should be a link right at the top to get tickets. Uh, you can also buy them at the door if we don't sell out. Um, I believe it will be announced at this time. Our special guest on that show is Josh Gondelman from uh, Jesus and Marrow and Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. So definitely come oh, to that. Yeah. It's going to be really fun. And uh, yeah, check my Twitter for everything else. Kath Barbadoro on Twitter. All right, guys. Well, hey, you know what? Hey, thank you very much for sharing it with us today, Kath. You guys out at home, thanks for tuning in. Uh, have, some, have fun out there for the rest of your summer. Be safe. Uh, you know, be smart. But above all, don't get caught. Don't get caught. See you next time.